becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the curve. It's a dream that you to the passing note of the song. All right. That was cheers. Trying, trying something new here. Cheers to the shores. To the shores. Yeah. You guys don't know this, but we played the music while we were in the- That's right. <laughs> Usually we add the intro music after we record, but we had it playing uh-huh. to try to get us in the mindset. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I don't know if it worked on you. I feel like you you seem bugged out. <laughs> I think I was too focused on like, okay, what are we doing? How's this going to work? What are we doing? <laughs> it's like, maybe after like two or three episodes, I'll be like, zinned out. We, like, we did talk about what invited, inviting new adversities. Ooh. So maybe that's what that, that is. Totally. doesn't take much for me. <laughs> Just throw a song in there. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit of truth in that. It's like I, I have uh, systems and things I do. And then if, uh, I get out of that, it's like I get a little, oh, yeah. oh, oh God, what happened? Okay. You throw a wrench in it and yeah. it, everything's different. Everything's mm-hmm. out of whack. Yeah. I find that way like the sleeping patterns and stuff like that. If I don't do the same things and then I, if I do it differently, like, like usually like Thursday mornings I might sleep in or whatever. And then I feel out of whack the whole day almost. So <clears throat> after you sleep in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, ha- I, d- I do feel thrown off. Okay. <laughs> Get in the game. <laughs> signal and noise. Let's signal and not, noise. Not focus on the noise and the signal. Yeah. Well, which is, that is what we wanted to talk about, right? Yeah. Signal, totally. signal and noise. Totally. <laughs> what do you think about the who? The who? Oh, yeah. We got to start there. Yesterday, they came out and said that children should not be vaccinated. Yeah. Which is nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolute nuts. I mean, I agree with them, yeah. <laughs> but we've been pushing children so hard to get vaccinated. And now the who is saying they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And also, can you trust the who? I don't know. They've yeah. been wrong and lied about other things. <laughs> so I feel very much, especially after some of the recent interviews that Brett Weinstein has done, I feel very much like we are in uh, some very strange and potentially dangerous waters right now yeah. in terms of public health with all of that. Well, just uncharted territories as far as, you know, maybe up until the internet age, you kind of just trusted your public authorities to tell you what was, you know, good or, or right or right. whatever it might be. And, uh, yeah. Cause what else, who else would you trust? Who yeah. else could have the information? Mm-hmm. But now we live in an age where everyone can have the information. Totally. Yeah. Which is, which is a good thing and also a not so good thing. It's because there's so much information out there and whether you're getting good information or bad information, which you've kind of seen with like YouTube and Twitter and some of the social media, Facebook, they're trying to distinguish what is true and what is not true. But even in that, it's been kind of a, uh, a huge learning curve. Well, see, that's the problem is I don't think what they're doing is trying to distinguish what's true and what's untrue, what, what's not true. Mm. I think what they're trying to do is somehow like some loftier thing of it's not really about truth or not truth. It's about what's going to like uh, promote the most compliance with, um, with like public mandates, whether that's wearing masks or getting vaccinated or um, whether or not you're supposed to ask whether the coronavirus came from a lab in Wuhan. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Like, it seems pretty clear to me that they don't really, it's not about the truth. It's about control of the narrative. Yeah. It's really hard. It's like, I, I don't want to like, like, uh, you know, I, I guess I tend to believe like people have good intentions, you know, and it's like, even though there might be misdirected, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I think I might be also losing faith in that <laughs> somewhat too. Well, I don't think that it has to be that they don't have good intentions. Yeah. <clears throat> I think their intentions are just misplaced. Mm-hmm. Their intention should be to allow the truth, not to control the narrative, but their, their, um, well-being as, as it, as businesses, I think is much more tied to the narrative than it is to the truth. Well, it's funny cause it's all really started with Alex Jones. You know, it's like Alex Jones has a lot of kooky things. And I feel like since that, it's that sort of like signaled a, um, a shift in being in kind of like controlling the narrative more. I mean, not that it wasn't a present prior to that, but right. That was the first big public deplatforming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he's kooky. Right. <laughs> he says a lot of crazy things. Well, I thought it was interesting. He was interviewed on Joe Rogan not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I guess Joe and Jamie, uh, before he came on, like really went through with a fine tooth comb, a lot of his claims that he's made on the Joe Rogan podcast. Mm-hmm. And Joe Rogan was like, the thing is like, you're, you've been right about almost all of it. <clears throat> yeah. So like, what do you do with that? <laughs> you're wrong about some big things, but you're right on, about most everything else. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also a presentation, you know, <clears throat> like he's not a polished person. Oh no, he comes across as a crank. <laughs> totally. Uh-huh. Like I would, I, I wouldn't take anything that he said to the bank, you know? Right. But I could also see like how, like even when we were listening to that one, uh, episode with Brett and that, those two scientists, uh, mm-hmm. Talking about the effervectomy and stuff like that. Ivermectin. Ivermectin. I would never say that correctly. <laughs> I just could not stand. The guy was saying amazing things, but I could not listen to him. It was masked mm-hmm. by his personality. The presentation of it was almost unbearable. Yeah, exactly. Because of his personality. I wanted to turn it off. Yeah. But the, but the information he was giving was really you know, powerful and good. Yeah. The signal was good. The signal was good. The noise. The noise was unbearable. <laughs> totally. But then you think about like how many people that we listen to that they deliver things in such a way that it's so much more palatable, you know, maybe like a, like a Dr. Fauci, like people are like, you know, listen to him. Everything he says is true. And, you know, if you walk through his whole last year of, of coronavirus stuff, it's like, there's. He said pretty much everything there is to be said about <laughs> the virus, <laughs> you know, it's, and that's not against like, you know, it's kind of like a clock <laughs> science. You have to like broken clock is right. Once a day, you have to be able to, you know, again, correct yourself and that kind of stuff. I don't know. Even his presentation, him, him and Como seem similar to me in their presentation where I, like, I hear them speak and I just think you're, you're slimy. I don't know what's going on, but mm-hmm. something icky about it. Yeah. More so Cuomo, but I, yeah, I get that yeah, with, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'd put them in the same broad category. Yeah. Well, there's also like that, the whole Anthony Fauci almost like worshiping right now too. It's mm-hmm. like there's dances. Not going. almost. I mean, yeah. it actually is <laughs> true that James Corden dance. Uh-huh. That was crazy. Yeah. Maybe it was supposed to be tug in cheek, but did not come across that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So 
We had the Who. What other? Uh, well, the Wuhan virus uh, coming out of the lab. That's another sort of signal and noise type thing. That it's now safe to say that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's interesting. I think we live in a time when, oh, really, over the last year, there's so much noise surrounding every subject, mm-hmm. whether that's um, social, racial unrest, or the coronavirus, or politics in general. Mm-hmm the national election, um, the border, what's going on at the border. There's so much noise around all of these things that you can almost, it becomes so chaotic. You can almost sort of pick the pieces you want to tell the story that you want. Totally. Nobody seems all that concerned with what the real signal is. Mm -hmm. Like what's really happening? How does it affect us? Yeah. How should we be concerned? And it becomes more of a matter too of like who is telling you? Is this person a Republican? Is this mm-hmm. person a Democrat? Is this person white, black, <laughs> Asian? You know, it's like there's so many, there's so much noise out there than the, the what people are trying to communicate and say, rather than all these tangential I, I, items that are not necessarily right pertinent to what is being communicated. You know, right? <clears throat> Maybe a part of what's being communicated, but not pertinent to the actual signal or communication. I was watching this weekend with my kids back to the future, Mm. which is still a fantastic movie. (laughs) Yeah. Like so well done Mm -hmm. and so deep and profound in many ways. Like I I finished watching it and I was like, I want to hear Jordan Peterson do like a three hour lecture on this movie (laughs) and it's archetypal underpinnings. Uh Um, But it was funny because there's a scene in there where, uh, you know, uh, Marty goes back in time Mm -hmm into the fifties and he find, has to find doc Brown and he's got this, uh, video camera with him and he's showing doc Brown, this video camera and he doesn't, doc doesn't believe him at first. And, mm-hmm. um, he's like, who's president in 1985. And he's like, Ronald Reagan. And he's like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know? And then he, he's looking at the camera and he's like, no wonder your president is a, an actor. He's got to look good on television. <laughs> and I thought that's so interesting because, for most of our history as a country, you didn't have television. You didn't see leaders or politicians on television. The packaged, you know, like listening to that doctor who was annoying. You mm-hmm. didn't get that. Mm-hmm. Or you didn't get Trump's voice, you know? Yeah, totally. Or or videos of him. Or FDR <clears throat> in, a, uh, in a wheelchair, you know? Yeah, it's like- right. You just got the occasional picture in the newspaper Mm -hmm. and then you could read about the policies and maybe a speech every once in a while that you could read. Mm -hmm. Like there was no noise. Yeah. And, and the, I think the result is it was probably much easier to manipulate things Mm -hmm. because there was much less information being disseminated, but also harder at the same time because we, they didn't have the informational highways that we have now as far as like yeah. being able to accomplish things at the speed that we're able to accomplish things now. So everything took you know, a week or two months or three months where now it happens in a, a press of a button almost, you know? Right. So it's like, I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder how much that also has to do with it. Like, because information and ideas and situations move mm-hmm. so much faster today than, than they did back then too. Yeah. And now you have the effect of, you can't ask whether or not the virus came from a lab Mm -hmm. because Trump said it Mm -hmm. and the package of Trump is so reprehensible that we dare not even talk about anything that ever came out of his mouth. Mm 
<clears throat> even though it would be really good to know if that were true or not. Yeah. You, that's still a valid question. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the noise of the package seems to be overwhelming us. Yeah. You know, whether that's Trump or Fauci or the Republicans or the Democrats or whatever else. I do find that I'm starting to see more of like the center left and the center right sort of find each other, Hmm. you know, and start to kind of like the center left people sort of going, Oh, you guys aren't as crazy as I thought you were. And the center right people kind of saying the same thing, you know, it's like, where are you seeing that? Well, I just think of like, I think like Brett and Eric specifically, you know, I think kind of what they've done, uh, has kind of like, given more room for that more centrist yeah. uh, left perspective um, or even again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but because Trump is out of office, so it makes things easier to talk about like John Stewart on uh, who is it? Who's it? Colbert Colbert. Yeah. You know, it's like if he would have said that, you know, six months or eight months ago or something like that, when Trump was still in office, like, like who knows what that he would have gotten flamed. He would have gotten flamed. Yeah. But <laughs> that was a funny little, <laughs> it was really, it was hysterical. Colbert's trying to like hold, hold the line of yeah. not like really commenting. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that gave me some hope mm-hmm. that the, that there are voices that can speak up. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had some hope. Uh, so, Brett Weinstein and Pierre Corey Hmm. were on Joe Rogan's podcast this week. And the way that they framed it was interesting. And even Joe Rogan said, this is an emergency podcast. Hmm. I mean, I guess they didn't plan it all that far ahead. The impression I got was that Brett was like, we need to come on and we need to come on now. And he allowed it. And I've only listened to about half of it so far, but the, the, um, impotent impetus, Impetus? Impetus, yeah. Impetus. Not impotence. Not impotence. <laughs> um, was that Brett and Pierre Corey had had this um, conversation on Brett's podcast where they discussed ivermectin, which is a, a drug that's been around since the early 80s. Um, it's incredibly safe. It's, one of, it's known to be like the safest drug we know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's off patent. It's incredibly cheap and it has something close to a hundred percent effectiveness at preventing you from getting the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And so they were talking about it and YouTube has taken that video down, has censored that conversation and YouTube's community guidelines actually say that you are not allowed to discuss ivermectin on YouTube. Wow. Um, Pierre Corey actually <clears throat> testified to the Senate about ivermectin and YouTube took that down. So there's something very strange going on there. And that was like a Senate hearing that yeah. was, that was public record that YouTube right. took off of. Right. Yeah. Which is a whole kind of separate issue mm-hmm. that, that's astounding is that yeah. if somebody's testifying to our Senate, we have the right to hear that mm-hmm. no matter how kooky or misinformation it may be. Yeah. Um, but it does seem pretty clear to me that there are those you know, whether it is individuals or it's some sort of emergent mom mom mentality, but there are those who would really like to take the noise and pick their own narrative and suppress anything else. Mm -hmm. And I've had the thought earlier, maybe last year, you know, 
when you see big cultural sort of revolution style things happen in the 20th century, um, it was all pre-internet. And how do you fight something like that? Mm-hmm. You know, I think we've even talked about that here on the podcast. Like you've got to, you got to like write a book and mm-hmm. then get it printed and distributed and then people got to read it. But now we have podcasts and to see Joe Rogan say, yeah, emergency podcast to his, you know, to the largest podcast platform on the planet and yeah. be able to get this information out. That gave me a lot of hope because the message is the pandemic could be over whenever we want back then. It could have been six months ago mm-hmm. and it still can be now. Mm-hmm. And the point that they are making, and these are very credible people, Brett Weinstein and Pierre Corey, is that um, the effectiveness of ivermectin as a prophylactic to coronavirus is high enough that it's above um, herd immunity. Mm-hmm. So we could eradicate this virus. We could make it go extinct. Mm-hmm. If we would just use this, it's like, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a cheap available drug that could eradicate the coronavirus? And that's been proven over time. And, and it's been proven safe mm-hmm. over time. And we do, mm-hmm. and we're not allowed to talk about it, mm-hmm. which you want to get into some conspiracy theories. That's a really good place <laughs> to start. <laughs> well, it's so hard. Cause it's like, it does start to, you, you, you start to kind of feel like you're a little bit in a conspiratorial, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. way. But I think that's something that you and I have experienced over the last year is like, you're saying something, but it doesn't match up with what is actually happening. It's like you, like we've, you and I have gone through so many different clips of people saying things or people will phrase things a, a certain way in the way that they've clipped it. Yeah. And then you go back and watch the original. You're like, wow, that is like, way out of context. Right. You made, you made it fit your narrative. Right. You took this noise. Well, you just, you took this little clip of something that was a signal and it's larger, it's larger, uh, format. And you put it in this little tiny little clip and you just added it to the noise to Mm. say what you wanted it to say. You spliced it into some other (laughs) quasi signal. Mm -hmm. And it's just really hard. I mean, like, I mean, it's, 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 again, I think that's why you get into sort of conspiratorial areas is, uh, or you feel like that because you're like, you're, I don't believe you. I don't believe you anymore. Like yeah. anything on mainstream media. Um, it's just really frustrating to, to listen to. Right. Well, so two things that we aren't talking about that seem somewhat evident, not somewhat, they seem perfectly evident. If you simply look, <clears throat> one is we have the, as I said, the ability to end the pandemic now cheaply mm-hmm. um, and safely. And then the other, which is that these vaccines are in all likelihood the most deadly vaccines we've ever had. And you're not allowed to talk about that either. I'm hearing almost no one talk about that. Mm-hmm. And the evidence seems pretty plain and simple. And yet you're not supposed to talk about this the first one, the ivermectin, because presumably you don't want to inspire vaccine hesitancy because that's been the decided way out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But it's obviously the much worst way out. Yeah. So it's like we're upside down on this. Well, what again, so that's where I could totally follow the narrative at the very beginning is before kind of like diving into some of these things was, you know, here we have this vaccine. It's, it hasn't been fully tested, but 
this is going to allow us to kind of get back to some sort of normal, you know, it's like, and again, I'm, I'm okay with risk, you know, and, and, and given the situation that this was a risk I thought was, was viable and good, you know, uh, assuming we didn't have an alternative, assuming we didn't have an alternative, but we do. Yeah. But I mean, at the time we didn't know that. And I mean, the part that I got a little bit squirmish on or squeamish on was the, you know, it's like anybody over the age of 55, 65, let's get them vaccinated. Long-term effects won't have as much, they don't have as, you know, long to live and that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? But then once you start going beyond that, like I think where they jumped the shark for me was, you know, people under 45 or kids or, you know, it's like, but they're, if you're not, if you're healthy, it's kind of, you kind of need to just let your immune system do what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. And yes, you might get sick, but you're not going to be, it, it, it's the very, it's very high likelihood that you won't be as affected as somebody over the age of 55 or 65 on up, you know? Right. Cause that's, it gets, it gets a lot more drastic as you move up and also health, you know? Um, so I feel like the, their messaging has just continue to expand beyond, you know, trust the science. It's like, no, now you're not in the science realm. You're not in science. Yeah. yeah. Now you're just in this, uh, which I also get too. It's like, cause there's a, there's a public perception thing that, you know, if people, if everybody gets vaccinated, air quotes, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then everyone, then we can get back to normal. Cause there's a, there's a sort of a, a narrative there that we're safe, you know? And so I also understand that. Yeah. And sometimes a narrative is, is useful, um, Mm -hmm. to, to encourage people to increase their risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I feel like we're being really foolish by believing quote unquote, the science. When people say the science says these vaccines are safe Mm -hmm. for two reasons. One that's not a, that's a nonsensical statement. You can't know that. Yeah. That isn't something that you can know. So mm-hmm. to say it's safe or to say it's unsafe are both equally, uh, ir- irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, maybe you can know that, you know, several months after getting the vaccine, the risk of an adverse event is somewhat low. Mm-hmm but you can't know what's going to happen in a year or two or three mm-hmm. because we've never, we have to, we don't have that experience. This yeah. is completely unknown. It's a, it's a, it's a novel therapy in a novel delivery type for a novel virus. Yeah. We just don't know. Um, the other thing that really floored me when I learned about it is that the only way that we have to know whether or not adverse effects happen from vaccines is something called the VAERS database, which is oh, stands yeah. for, uh, it's V A E R S Vax, vaccine adverse event reporting system. Mm-hmm. It's been around for 30 years. There have been more deaths reported in VAERS in the last six months than there have in the previous 30 years combined. <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, I don't know. And I'm not sure that it really matters, but it means something wildly different is happening. Cause you could also say that that's, that's fairly anecdotal. Like people are self-reporting these things, but I think, I think doctors, Oh, doctors. Okay. I yeah. thought it was like individuals. Okay. I don't know if individuals can report, uh-huh. uh, 
I do know that doctors can and do. Oh, the, that changes my. Uh, I, I thought it was. I thought it was like a more of a right uh, patients type thing. Right. Well, there's a, and there's a ton of questions around that. I mean, that's not mm-hmm. necessarily evidence that vaccines are killing people. Yeah. Um, but it is evidence that something we don't know, something that we don't understand, is happening. Mm-hmm. And so when people say trust the science, the vaccines are safe. I think, well, I'm seeing a lot of evidence that that's not true. I mean, I even have some people that I know who have had some pretty gnarly uh, side effects to the vaccine. Mm. Yeah, like that person was numb. Yeah. Friend of uh, a friend who got it went numb in her feet the day after. And then over the course of the next week, the numbness spread and she is now numb from her neck down. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's been that way for five months. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that we're believing people when they say the vaccines are safe is, well, it's clearly not true. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that they are not worth the risk. Yeah. You know, I don't know how That's, to make that calculation, mm-hmm. but we are fooling ourselves somehow. Well, that's the thing I don't get. Like, again, I'm just a lay person, but you know, if I'm 75 years old and there's such a high mortality rate and people of 75 are more adverse effects from the coronavirus, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of a no brainer to me, you know, do it, you know, uh, I mean, unless you're healthy and that's a whole nother thing, you know, but it does seem like that there's that part too, but when people say follow science again, <clears throat> I just keep coming back to that. It's just, it, I think that's what drives me so crazy right. is like well, actual <clears throat> uh, effects of mm-hmm. COVID on age range and health. Well, I thought Brett did a really good job sort of addressing that idea of, you know, if you're 75, then yeah, get it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the reason for that is that when you're weighing risk versus benefit, mm-hmm. your risk of, adverse event effects of getting the virus is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe your risk of adverse effects of the vaccine is also high, but maybe it's not as high as getting the, the, the virus. Whereas if you're evaluating, you know, it, so the risk of any damage from the vaccine is probably worth avoiding Corona, mm-hmm. but for children, well, and add to that for a 75 year old, you've got roughly maybe 10 years left. Mm-hmm. So long-term effects of, negative effects of either Corona or the vaccine don't have that much time to set in. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're looking at children, children are at almost no risk of getting or, or having adverse effects from the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. I saw a chart that said that, um, I think it was, what was the age group less under 14? And it was like rank ordering, uh, cause of death in children. And, coronavirus was under suffocation lightning strike oh god like all of these other things uh-huh. um like statistically they have a zero percent chance yeah get more chance of right. being struck by lightning right so the benefit that a child would get from the vac- vaccine is none mm-hmm. essentially yeah because it's not protecting them from anything which was going to harm them but the risk of adverse effects now. So now you, all you have is the risk. Mm-hmm. So giving a vaccine to a child is only exposing them to risk Yeah, and it's not exposing them to any benefit. Yeah. There was something also specifically with boys and the heart too. I, 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 don't, I probably can't. Myocard- myocarditis. Yeah. That there's a higher chance with, with boys mm-hmm. of the myocardi- 
Yeah, that thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the rate at which that has been happening is, but mm-hmm. it's been happening at a high enough rate that it alarms me mm-hmm. that young boys are having enlarged, inflamed hearts and essentially having heart attacks post-vaccine. Yeah. But it, it kind of going back to the, getting the noise and the signal, it's like there's these signals that are happening, but there's so much noise out there. You can't talk about these things without, right. I mean, even, even us talking about this right now, I still, I can hear all the, the, well, someone could just say everything you're <clears throat> saying is just noise. Yeah. Like maybe that happened one time, but the, the benefits better, you yeah. know, or 10 times or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so when there's enough noise in the system, you can sort of confuse on purpose, the signal for the noise. Yeah. Drown it out, drown it out. Mm-hmm. It, well, and say that's not signal. That's noise. Mm-hmm. The real signal is this. Yeah. Yeah, I just have a, I have a, I have a hard time with that. Because again, it's like, you know, even if you, like, I've seen some people talk about some of the, uh, in the anecdotals part of it. And they're like, I'm not, they always start with, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like even like, uh, uh, you know, and talking about this, it's like, I sound like an anti-vaxxer, but I'm, I'm not, you know, mm. I think that's, there's some amazing marvels that we've come up with, you know, <clears throat> with science and, and what we are able to prevent. <clears throat> well, that, <clears throat> that word has been co-opted into a pejorative. Uh-huh. I mean, it used to mean something else. It used to mean like, I'm not going to get my kids, um, you know, the, the polio shots, right. The mm-hmm. common, what's it called? Portfolio of, mm-hmm. um, vaccines that you would get. And that was a, I mean, I knew people that had that position. Mm -hmm. They were worried about it. You know, you heard reports of like vaccines cause autism and these things. And so Mm -hmm. that was a valid term, but to apply that to people not wanting to get the Pfizer or Moderna COVID vaccine, that's something completely different. Mm -hmm. Like the reasons for not wanting to get that could be the same as not wanting to get other vaccines. Mm -hmm. But I think primarily there's a whole new group of people who would and have vaccinated against everything else who are saying, I don't know about this though. Mm-hmm. You know, we just don't know enough. I'm not comfortable with this. Yeah. And that's not an anti-vaxxer. Mm-hmm. It just happens that they are anti this vaccine or maybe not even anti this vaccine, just cautious. Yeah. They're like, no, I just don't know. Like I want to, I understand the risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that I see the data as far as like my age group, my health, and then the risk of doing a vaccine that's completely unknown. Well, it makes sense to me, you know, here's how I'm going to handle this. Uh, and some people do it just for the peace of mind. Like, you know, Hey, I was told this, this is going to give me a piece, a piece, give me peace of mind. Right. And therefore I'm going to do that. And it's like, or even allow me to socially live the way that I want to live. And there's valid reasons to get it even just for that. Yeah. Oh, especially, I mean, just peer pressure too, if, depending mm-hmm. on where you live. I mean, right. it'd be, a, it'd, it'd be the adverse effect of those, you know, let's say that, um, you live in a place where getting the vaccine is sort of like you're looked down on, you know? Uh, and then you live in a place where if you don't get it, you're looked down on. It's like yeah. the social pressures of that. And again, like social pressure is a good thing in many situations, but are, are a lot of situations, but, um, But at the same time, it's like, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. 
Well, the entire point of socialization is so that you will be accepted by the group. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you do when you socialize your children. Mm-hmm. And we do that hopefully based upon traditional values because traditional values are known to work. They're known to be good. Mm-hmm. We've played them out over a longest, long enough period of time, but socialization is meant to make you acceptable to a group of your peers. Yeah. So to enter a group of your peers in which everybody believes strongly that one thing should be, whether that's you are vaccinated or you're not, or you uh, believe really strongly in masks or you don't or whatever, to enter that group and hold an alternative point of view mm-hmm. does affect your ability to assimilate into the group or to fit in, to be accepted. It's kind of no getting around that. Yeah. That's a, that's a strong and powerful motivator. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing is like, I'm, I feel like I'm very sensitive to, and aware of how people are approaching this. And I think that's the hard thing about, you know, the stress level that different people have felt throughout this whole pandemic. And, you know, part of me is like, great, get the vaccine. If, if it makes you feel, if it makes you feel that you can enter back into society because mm-hmm. people have been so isolated over the last year that there's some real unhealthiness. I mean, I, I, I mean, I was out and about this whole time, you know, in public with shops and all that kind of stuffs. But even I still feel a little bit of that sort of like if I'm at a party for too long, it's like usually I have like a two hour tolerance and now I've got like 30 minutes. Tolerance. <laughs> I'm like, ah, uh, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Ready to go back home. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's changed us. Go back to my safe place. Right. <laughs> yeah. Even though you didn't particularly feel like you needed safety from the virus, mm-hmm. it has altered your behavior in a way that you're not particularly wanting to change back. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like now that we're in Austin specifically, like we've really opened up over the last pretty much two weeks. Mm -hmm. Like we were still masks all the way on a Monday and by Friday, nobody's wearing masks anymore. I don't think I've worn one in at least a week. Mm -hmm. It's been fine. Oh, it's been amazing. (laughs) It's just like just seeing people's faces and people smiling like, and then, you know, again, if you, if you still feel comfortable wearing a mask now, that's totally fine. But at the same time, I was like, then I see people with masks and I start to see like, I can't see you, Mm. you know, I, I can't, I can't get your, your, the fullness of what you're expressing. Right. It's just, in a, just to think of that. We lived a year like that. Hmm. Like not really being able to, I mean, seriously, I mean, the people that I've talked to almost every single day for the last year and now seeing them without a mask, it's just so different. I was talking to a friend of mine who's an artist. Uh, well, this kind of correlates to the signal versus noise thing. Um, but I think during the pandemic at some point, she set up this sort of interactive art exhibit focused around and I, I don't know exactly what the setup was, but the idea was she was sitting in like a booth and then she had some way to like monitor her own heartbeat. And then somebody would come and sit opposite her and there, that person's heartbeat was monitored. And so each you're listening to each other's heartbeat. Hmm. And then the idea was you just sit and listen and look at each other for 10 minutes. Very interesting experiment. That's fascinating. But I was asking, you know, it was like, you're, oh, you were, so you were doing this like during the mask time, mm-hmm. like you were wearing masks. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder 
that would be really interesting to stare at some a stranger in the eyes mm-hmm. not be able to see the rest of their face mm-hmm. so like you're suppressing part of the input mechanism that you get when looking at someone else mm-hmm. and and bringing hyper focus to just the eyes and like what would you get from that yeah and what would it be like to do that again without masks and see the way that it changes the experience oh that'd be fascinating because I, I equate it to like you know when people lose a sense whether that be vision or hearing mm-hmm. the rest of their senses tend to amplify mm-hmm. at least that's what i hear and it makes sense because you suppress one thing it leaves somehow more room for bandwidth for other things. Mm-hmm. So to just so this, we spent all this time just looking at people's eyes, you know, of the last year, and now we see their whole face, and yeah. it's almost like, whoa, that's a lot of information. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, cover your face. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> too much. It's like, can you do this? Cover your mouth. You know. Right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> we can do this now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's been such a relief. I, I mean, I mean, I'm not a very high stress person I would say you know it's like but ever since we've come out of this I just feel like a whole weight off Mm -hmm. and as I'm seeing people acclimate to sort of coming back to what we have always known as normal (laughs) yeah you know it's like and it's almost like you don't want to like even have this conversation that we're having right now about you know the vaccines and uh, Ivermectin, and <laughs> you know, it's like because like you don't, it's like you kind of want, you kind of want everybody to just, just forget about it and move on. And I know that's not, I don't think that's good for us as a society. But mm-hmm. there's a part that just let's kind of forget that happened and move into the future. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna. Well, I, I, I hope we don't do that. I know. That's probably, it's better. I get the sentiment. Like, yeah, okay, things are opening back up. That feels really good. No, don't question it too much if it might thwart this. Mm-hmm. Because we need this. Yeah, because if you start calling the question vaccines, then it's sort of like, oh my gosh, well, we need a mask back up. We need to lock isolate. We need to yeah. lock down. It's like, uh, you know, what is the reaction? if the If that information were to come out more publicly or mainstream mainstream media wise or whatever you know yeah i mean that that does paint sort of a tough picture to look at and i guess that is part of the reason to say hey the vaccines are safe everyone just needs to get it and then Mm -hmm. we can all be moving on Mm -hmm. but like i'm not going to allow my kids to get it so that we can move on yeah. not not if it's going to threaten them mm-hmm. not if it's going to threaten them in unknown ways when they still have you know 80 years in front of them yeah and it could potentially affect their reproductive health mm-hmm. like hell no yeah so where do you where do you draw the line there and where do you say above that line like uh, let's just get it and be done you know mm-hmm. where is that okay mm-hmm. is it based on age or lifestyle or health you know pre-existing health or i don't know that seems like a hard argument to make i mean it almost sort of seems a bit to me akin to the um abortion debate Mm -hmm. it's like once you start debating about it well where do you start drawing lines it becomes morally almost impossible yeah arbitrary yeah so that concerns me Mm -hmm. 
Like, I think we need to be talking about it. I think people need to be talking about it. And I think we are now in a, in a, someone, something of an ethical dilemma around the vaccines in particular, because as some of this information is, is surfacing, um, well, what do you do about that? Mm-hmm. What do you do about that when you have friends and family who are already vaccinated yeah, or planning to get vaccinated? And, but we don't know. Maybe it's totally fine. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe this is just a false alarm. Mm-hmm. Or it's such a small but percentage it's that not. it's worth the risk. Yeah, you know, or like, maybe it's worth the risk. So we don't like, know. Yeah, it's like, so if it's like only 5% of people have, that get the vaccine have this adverse effect, then it's like, okay, well, you know, this was an emergency situation. You know, those are things you have to weigh. Mm-hmm. It's like that actually protected hundreds, if not millions of people, you yeah. know, um, which I feel like right now we're, we're starting to question that and it does need to be talked about. And again, I think there's some, I think. Well, it needs to be talked about if people are to make a decision for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that really is what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Although as you sort of made that point, I thought, yeah, it does kind of seem a bit like the rules of war. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I think I told you about this a couple of episodes ago, but watching uh, Saving Private Ryan with my son and, Uh uh, is it uh, Captain Miller, Tom Hanks's character at some point is talking about how he justifies to himself sending men to die. Mm-hmm. And he imagines that for every man that he sends to die, that death saves a hundred others. Mm. And so it's like, is that worth it? Yeah. It's an impossible question to answer, but that's how I justify it. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is like, he doesn't have, he doesn't have any tangible evidence that that one person caused a hundred people to die. It's an act of faith. <clears throat> yeah. Right. That's really, I think it's what made these times. I think we're just not used to this kind of, we haven't had a war. You know, most people have passed away that have been in world war two. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had Gulf wars. We've had a couple of Korean Vietnam, you know, it's like those things are kind of hanging around, but hasn't really affected the population at large, specifically in the West, you know, that we don't really have that idea of what it means to um, take those risks on one side or the other, you know, it's yeah. like, but I think too, is like now we do have so much, I think that's the hard thing too, is we have so much information. <clears throat> Our sense making apparatuses have a lot of, have a lot more responsibility, I think now than they did prior to mm-hmm. the information age. Um, right. Because you're presented with so much information that you can pick and choose what supports what you want. Exactly. Yeah. Like I want to believe that the vaccine is safe for everyone. Well, I'm going to quote these people and these, these stations and this stuff, you know? Right. And you can build your case strong enough to live justified. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. even on the other side, it's like, you know, (laughs) you're talking about, some conspiracy theories that you were hearing about this stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, whether it be like a Bill Gates micros, what was it? Micro microchip, microchips and stuff like that. It's like, you know, you can kind of go a lot of crazy ways at this, but, um, but it does seem again, you and I have like dug through a lot of this information over the last year Mm -hmm. and it's, it's there. And I just don't understand the interpretations that I'm hearing. I think that's the hard, 
that's a hard thing for me. Well, I think it used to be the journalist's job to dig through the information and report. Mm. And I don't think they're doing it anymore. It's true. I think that they're all <clears throat> op-ed writers now. Yeah. What the hell is up with that? That it really, it's becoming more and more obvious. I think that that's all they're just regurgitating and repeating instead of doing any sort of investigative right. aspect to their journalism, journalism, they mean <laughs> journalism. I don't, I don't know, but I think it's because they have to compete with social media. Oh, true. Yeah. And so what they write has to be attention grabbing and generally <clears throat> facts are not very attention grabbing. Yeah. It's the narrative around the facts that's attention grabbing. Mm-hmm. And at some point you can just stop it with the facts and just write the narrative. And that's, what's going to get clicks. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to generate outrage. But I think it's, you know, I'm sure you've seen that sign, uh, in people's lawns. I don't see it as much anymore, but, um, to see it all over the place. It would just say in this house, we are still outraged. Oh really? I Have you never seen, seen that? that? Uh-uh. Yeah. It doesn't really say what they're outraged about, but it's, it's interesting that people would advertise that they're outraged because that's something worth being yeah. is outraged. Mm-hmm. And so you, if that's something people are interested in being, then you can just give them reasons to be outraged and they will. Mm-hmm. And that sells whether or not the coronavirus came from a lab in China you know, yeah. unfortunately doesn't sell, mm-hmm. but it's an important question. Whether or not Donald Trump is a racist for suggesting it, yeah. that sells. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, it's, it's completely backwards and upside down. I mean, that promotes outrage, mm-hmm. um, provokes outrage. But the idea that a lab was experimenting with a virus and unleashed death onto the world does not provoke (laughs) outrage. Everything's so backwards. I mean, and everyone was saying, you know, if you say, if you suggest that the coronavirus might've been a leak from a lab, that's racist toward the Chinese. Mm -hmm. And then somebody pointed out, but it's not racist toward the Chinese to suggest that this thing came from the Chinese eating bats. Mm -hmm. Like that's by the same judgment. That's equally as racist. Yeah either one of them can be true and the observation has nothing to do with race, mm-hmm. but you know, to just say one is, but the other isn't is absurd. Well, again, I think that's where you get into a lot of this present day, like critical race theory stuff is everything is seen through the lens of race. And, and I think that narrative has also kind of, it's, I think it's one narrative that has also muddied, you know, there's put more noise into the system rather than being able to get to the bottom of, the situation you know right like just because this happened it's you know racism occurred how did it occur you know and mm-hmm. um you see uh, you see that specific with the wuhan thing is like how that has muddied the water it's like no it's like this has nothing to do with race there was a lab there right <laughs> it's like the most likely explanation the most was likely that explanation. this came from there <laughs> yeah it's like let's 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 approach this you know? <laughs> i just well i love um i think it's worth going back to john stewart for a oh, moment yeah. because you know we we talk about this a lot about how comedy is uniquely uh, positioned to surface the truth mm-hmm. and he does it in such a great way where it's like when he says it, it seems so obvious mm-hmm. the way he says like, Oh, there's a novel coronavirus. Where did this come from? Oh, you know who we could ask that building right there that says 
lab for novel coronaviruses. <laughs> Maybe they know. Maybe they know. It's like, he makes what it's like, the building's literally named the same thing as the virus. <laughs> you know, yeah. but no, you're not allowed to ask that. Uh, why? Yeah. You know, I don't know why. That's where, you know, it gets very conspiratorial. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I just, I, I absolutely am in love with comedy for its ability to raise unraisable questions mm-hmm. and point out um, taboo absurdities. Mm-hmm. And I feel really thankful for that, that, that he had the gumption to do that, even though Colbert was like not going to have it. He was squirming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and I hope, um, I hope that that continues because I think, I think that, you know, the words misinformation and, and disinformation have become very popular in our vernacular. Mm-hmm. And I think there really is a lot of it. I think there's also a lot of conspiracies. Yeah. But generally, it seems to me like the th- like the people who are actually conspiring have the rest of us thinking that the truth is a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And the people peddling actual disinformation have us thinking that it's the truth that's the disinformation. Mm-hmm. Like we're completely turned around and backwards. It does seem that way. And, it, and that really drives me absolutely nuts that, I mean, that's the whole idea of gaslighting, you know, it's like, yes, it's the same with racism and anti-racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The actual racism is accusing everyone else of being racist. Mm-hmm. But when it's, you classify everybody by their race and that a race is a certain way, then that's kind of like... That's racism. <laughs> that's racism. Right, right. Yeah. 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 I, I think we're... You know, I don't know when it will happen, but history will have to reckon with all of the redefining of terms mm-hmm. and, the, and the gaslighting and the Kafka traps and the Moten Baileys, Baileys and yeah. all of these rhetorical devices that are driving us absolutely madly insane... And I think actually probably already resulting in the deaths of people that could have been prevented. Mm. And we're going to have to reckon with that. It's going to take a while for us to be able to look back and see that clearly or for it to be acceptable enough within our zeitgeist Mm -hmm. to look back and see it clearly. And when I see someone like Jon Stewart able to joke about it on television and all the responses that I see are positive, Mm -hmm. I have hope. Yeah. And when I see Rogan willing to give a larger voice to Brett and Pierre after they were taken down by the gods of YouTube. (laughs) I have hope, Uh, you know, you could suppress information in the 20th century. I'm not sure you can successfully do it now. No, you could do it for a little while. Well, I think you, you, yeah, you can, you can do it for a little while. Like it's easy to get rid of like an Alex Jones. You know, it's like, it's like, okay, he kind of skirts the line. He's a little bit crazy. Okay. Yeah. 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 But then at some point you've kind of like, again, jumped the shark, you know, it's like, and you start seeing, like, if you were to take down this episode with Joe Rogan and Brett Weinstein, like that, that I think that would be one of those sort of like, whoa, wait, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. And what's your reasonings for this? And at some point I feel like this is coming to head more and more right now is that people are having to, especially like more mainstream media or sense makers that maybe are not being as honest and truthful as they should be. Um, 
are going to have to start to uh, come to terms with um, what you're peddling is actually disinformation. Hmm. You're you're repressing the actual truth and information that we need to be working through and coming to a, a conclusion or at least a hypothesis to some of these um, things that are facing us, you know, where the mm-hmm. virus come from, mm-hmm. are these virus, are these vaccines safe for us? How safe? Okay. Here's our risk factors. What does safe mean? What does safe mean? Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, you, you're even seeing this in the school systems with the critical race theory, you know, it's like where, you know, how is it that I love this quote? I don't know who said this, but how is it that in college, you know, you're you're telling these sort of adult children uh, that something might hurt your ears, but you're able to tell a white little boy or whatever that you're uh, a racist or mask, you know, toxic masculinity. You know, <laughs> it's like you're, you're. I think that one's actually worth reading. Is it okay? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> word for word, because mm-hmm. yeah. So the original, uh, it was a tweet. The original tweet was, why is it adults in college need trigger warnings or you might harm them, but little kids can be told that they're oppressors or oppressed. Mm-hmm. And then somebody commented on that and said, the problem with social justice efforts is they often give adults the responsibility of children and children the responsibility of adults. Mm-hmm. And that just hit me like a wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's exactly right. Can you read that whole thing again? I think that is something to sit with, like just to kind of like mull over almost. (laughs) So the original quote was, why is it adults in college need trigger warnings or you might harm them, but little kids can be told they're oppressors or oppressed. So, you know, we think it's not harmful to tell children that they're oppressors or that they're oppressed. Mm -hmm. And yet. Or just their very being is oppressing other people. Right. But for college kids who should be adults, we give them trigger warnings and tell them they don't have to attend class if there's some subject that's going to upset them. Mm-hmm. And then the, the comment was, the problem with social justice efforts is they often give adults the responsibility of children and children the responsibility of adults. Mm-hmm. And you really see that, I mean, with the push to teach an ever-growingly... Um, I want to use the word perverse curriculum of sexual education Mm -hmm. to children younger and younger. I mean, there is a reason why we don't teach kids about sex until a certain age Mm -hmm. because it isn't right to, I mean, that's a responsibility for an adult and we need to teach them about that before they're adults so that they're prepared for that responsibility. But we usher them into that responsibility. There is a responsibility that is for adults and not for children. Mm-hmm. And we're doing the opposite to adults. We're saying, you don't have any responsibility. Hmm. You shouldn't have to work. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to take personal responsibility for yourself. All of your ills are caused by someone else. It's someone else's fault. And so, you know, if you don't want to be triggered, then you don't have to come. I mean, that's, that's the way that we treat children. Yeah. (laughs) Ideally, but there's an inversion that's happening. I mean, just like all these other examples we've given, we're upside down and backwards. Or even with our kids, like Like we're living in a Shel Silverstein poem. (laughs) Totally. Wow. That's great. That's really great. 
Well, I mean, even with our kids, it's like at some point you're like, okay, hey, you can't watch these sort of movies. It's, it's, you know, you'll have nightmares or it's just not information you're ready for. Right. And then at some point you're like, no, these are things we need to talk about. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to engage this. Okay. Okay. That's kind of the, as far as you're willing to go right there. Cool. And at some point you need to kind of bring him further into that conversation each time and draw him deeper into some of those more adult topics. Right. You know, it's like, so there is that sort of, you know, allowing kids to just be kids and not have to address, you know, you know, certain atrocities or, or sexual, you know, uh, roles and stuff like that. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a whole Piaget stuff where it's like, it's, it's actually really healthy for kids to switch roles, you know, play the mother, play the father, you know, it's like, what does it look like? And it's to play act all those things. It's role, really, you role play when you're you a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's healthy and it's something that's part of mm-hmm. adolescent. I mean, uh, young young person's growth. <laughs> right. Well, you don't just role play as a mother and father. You also role play as um, an astronaut mm-hmm. or a fireman, an alien, an alien. <laughs> you, uh, know, you make up beings that don't exist and uh, role play as them. It's it's exploring creativity and ex- exploring the bounds of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make-believe friends and right. whatnot. Well, and I don't know who, maybe it was Piaget who said this, that like children who don't do that also don't socialize into the group mm-hmm. because they lack, well, maybe the ability to empathize. Empathize, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's such a powerful socialization to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes to, mm-hmm. as they grow older that's like, oh, okay. I see how this is. I can, I've, I've acted that out before, you know? Um, yeah. Which just seems so, so helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, and that seems like a really good commentary on this sort of like signal versus noise Mm -hmm. and, and maybe the suppression and censorship that we're experiencing when you try to talk about something that is considered misinformation or disinformation, um, the same way that we role play in order to understand the world, we also need to talk about things, even if they're not correct. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you know something isn't correct unless you explore it and see, oh yeah, that's incorrect. Mm-hmm. Or how do you know, you know, it's like the banner of the vaccines are safe. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? Because it's not true. Yeah. Even if it's safe enough to justify saying that, it's not mm-hmm. true. There's going to be risks. Yeah. What are the risks? We've got to be able to talk about those. We've got to be able to talk about the risk versus benefit um, and how that applies to different situations. You kind of like, just like you role play, you've got to role play these scenarios in order to understand what it means, what a statement like this is safe means. Mm-hmm. And if we aren't allowed to talk about these things, well, let me restate that because you, you and I can talk about these things and we can talk about these things to our friends. Although I think that there is some, um, pushback, mm-hmm. you know, I can't talk about these things openly to everyone without yeah. it causing some real damage to the relationship. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm more but concerned, you're doing it on a podcast. but I'm doing it on a podcast, <laughs> right? Um, I, but I'm more concerned with highly credentialed intellectual smart people Mm. not having the ability to talk about this on a public stage. Yeah. 
because I, I think we really need that. I mean, you and I, everything that we've said tonight mm-hmm. on this podcast, I think comes primarily from people that, that have those credentials yeah. who have been willing to talk <clears throat> about it. And then you and I generally will go and try to look at the, um, the, the evidence that supports those mm-hmm. positions and try to see for ourselves, how does that match up? But, yeah. um, if we can't have the best among us who know what they're talking about, talk about these things and explore these things. Um, well, the alternative is every man for himself or totalitarian. I just said that like Trump in his speech, totalitarianism, totalitarianism, sort of like dictation of the way things are going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's not a world I'm interested in living in. Oh, dude, I just went, uh, we went back and watched, uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain, uh, Parts Unknown. Mm. Fucking A, I miss that dude. Like, he was amazing. Like, his commentary on society is profound. Mm. Like, I haven't I, ever seen it. Oh, that's it's one to go back, pay for it, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, he does such a great job of sort of balancing the the tension in cultures, you know? It's like, because he was in Singapore and he was talking about it's it's it works like there's so much that works and yet there was this tension where you could see all the people he was talking to were not going to say necessarily bad things about the government so like and they were all acknowledging it in a way but in a roundabout way but they kept coming back to it works hmm. and there are certain things that we can't really talk about that we talk about among ourselves and you could see them dancing in that area. But anytime they were talking about how it works, they were so excited and mm. like <clears throat> overly over the top about the good things, you know? But anytime you got to more of like some of the more drawbacks or the consequences or, uh, uh, things that you give up in order to have that, you could see him kind of squirreling around, squirming a little bit. And Anthony Bourdain just really just calls it out, you mm. know, and, and shows you that tension, you yeah, know, right. here's something that in a more government controlled society, it's a one party system and how things can really work well, but kind of the right. underneath so that, long as you don't discuss mm-hmm. the if things you, that challenge that, because if you step outside of that, then those things start to break down. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was, it was, I mean, like, again, I'll have to go watch that. That's that was season. Well, six, that reminds me of what you were saying earlier about like, we're getting back to normal. It feels so good. Don't mm-hmm. fuck it up, mm-hmm. you know, with your dumb questions totally, and your exactly. good dumb concerns. <laughs> you know, uh, it's working. Mm-hmm. Why, why are you messing it up? It's working. Yeah. Well, I guess for that reason, I'm glad that it's working, but I'm not so much interested in living in a world that works at the exclusion of a bunch of other truths. Mm-hmm. I want something that is interested in incorporating as much of the truth as it can physically stand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that puts you in a place of necessary tension between the way things are, the way things might be, the distance between reality and the narrative. And the way things you want them to be. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we had this discussion about this reality and narrative, um, probably a year ago mm-hmm. and the idea that you want, you want some distance between reality and narrative because the narrative is sort of what it's like, it scouts out into the future. Mm-hmm. 
and directs the reality where to go. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be somewhat um, disjoined. You know, the story is loftier and bigger than the reality, well, but the it's pulling the reality forward. The narrative is the prophetic. You know, mm-hmm. it's speaking out into the future and drink, bringing it to the and present. manifesting the reality. Mm-hmm. But if those, if the distance between the narrative and the reality becomes too great, totally, yeah, then you're really in for a walloping. Mm-hmm. That's where you get the false prophet. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you start calling into the present a future that's just not true. Yeah, and you will suffer the consequences. You will suffer the that. consequences. And I think that's the same thing. When we say it's working, don't mess it up with mm-hmm. your troublesome side truths. Mm-hmm. You know, we are going to suffer the consequence of that. Yeah. And, and if not, we, we look at them and we address them and it's like, oh, cool. Yeah. We can, we can discard it, you know? Hmm. I think I cut you off right there, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think you did. Yeah. I think that was the end of my thought. Yeah. Well, this has been an interesting, we, we, we've pushed, um, or at least I did. <laughs> I pushed further into some things than I normally might be willing to do. But I have, uh, I'll warn you now, maybe, I feel compelled to speak more candidly on this podcast than mm. I have in the past. Yeah. Well, I think you and I both have felt more like a willingness to be wrong mm-hmm. and, and okay with that. You know, it's, and again, as we're talking about vaccines, we're talking about critical race theory, we're talking about you know, how people are perceiving these different narratives and what is the signal? What is the noise? It's like, those are things that we're working through at the same time. And one of the questions I was having as we were talking is like, do people change their minds? You know, can you change somebody's mind as far as like, like, uh, you know, someone who is a staunch Democrat or a staunch Republican or a staunch, Mm -hmm. whatever it's Mm -hmm. like, do we actually ever change our minds? Yes. I mean, I think people who are interested in like legitimately interested in the truth, Mm -hmm. I think there's a fairly common, um, actually progression that I see both, um, religiously and politically Hmm. as people age, people who are legitimately interested in the truth who, who age. Yeah. Um, people who are, Legit. Well, I'm not actually sure I want to put meat on these bones, but mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and say it. So I think that people um, who are legitimately wholeheartedly atheist generally become Christian. Hmm. I, well, I at least have a few examples of it. Yeah. Um, C.S. Lewis for example, is a, a big one. I think G.K. Chesterton is also one. Mm-hmm. Um, Chesterton has a great, great quote about it, actually, which I can't, I can't recall at the moment. His book, Orthodoxy, is one of my favorite books. Hmm. And that's sort of about his progression from atheism to, to um, orthodoxy. Oh, fascinating. Um, but then the other one is, I, I think that people who are genuinely... Marxist. Mm-hmm. I'll use Thomas Sowell as an example for this one. Mm-hmm. Genuine. <clears throat> yeah. Like they really think that's the solution, not ideologically, not um, popularly, mm-hmm. uh, but they're like, yeah, I'm really interested in the truth and in things getting better. Generally, if they start in Marxism, they end up conservative. Hmm. Um, 
at least again, I have some high profile examples of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's actually a commentary on Christianity being correct as opposed to atheism or mm-hmm. conservatism being correct as opposed to Marxism. I think it has something to do with age and the pursuit of truth. Hmm. And um, when you are younger, you tend to look for a different kind of truth. And as you age, that shifts. Mm-hmm. But I think that I, all that to say is yes. I think that people who are genuinely interested necessarily change their mind Mm -hmm. because if you're genuinely interested, you're going to realize that what you knew a year ago wasn't sufficient. And now you know new things. Mm -hmm. And if you don't change your mind based on those things, then you better be absolutely rich because you can predict the future. And you know, if you're right all the time, Mm -hmm. then start buying stocks or something. But Uh There was a great, I think we ended the podcast uh, many episodes ago with that great quote from Jeff Bezos Mm -hmm. talking about changing your mind and how necessary that is to growth Mm -hmm. and success. Well, love it. Cheers. Cheers to the shores. Are we going to end with the music or we got to put that in later? Well, I didn't put it in ahead of time because I couldn't predict how long this was going to go. <laughs> you didn't know? No, I didn't know. Oh, dude. I thought you knew everything. <laughs> well, other people are hearing it now, even though we aren't. <laughs> totally. So, enjoy. We love you guys. Bye. 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 <laughs>